This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. Today, I have Alistair McCaw on the show with me. Alistair is recognized as one of the world's leading figures in human performance, team culture, and leadership. For over 25 years, Alistair's worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies, Olympians, Grand Slam champions, NCAA colleges, and professional sports teams. He's an author of four best-selling books and a much-sought-after keynote speaker. Alistair consults and partners with sports teams and corporations around the globe, optimizing individual and group potential. His podcast, Champion Minded, is available on iTunes and YouTube. A former five-time world championship competitor in the sport of duathlon, two-time national fitness champion, and a veteran of 29 marathons, Alistair resides in Delray Beach, Florida. Alistair, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. Good to be here, Kenneth. So where I'd really like to start with you is just get into a little bit of the sporting background, because especially when people have built, you know, such a career in coaching as you have, I'm always curious, you know, how they got started into that, you know, so could you talk a little bit about what the sports were that you played growing up and sort of what led you to, uh, what led you to coaching? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was, I was born in Northern Ireland and at the age of six, we moved to South Africa um, I had three brothers, so you know if anyone who knows South Africa or Australia or New Zealand, uh, their sports crazy, especially the sports like cricket, rugby, those Southern Hemisphere sports. Um, you know, so I was brought up in a very sporting family, three brothers, so there was a lot of co- competitiveness in the backyard. Um, I was the youngest, so I'd get beat up. So I think it's something that that toughened me up a little bit, a little bit more. Um, you know, you'll usually find that in certain families where the youngest was actually the one that went on to. To, to be um, better in sports because they were competing against their their, their older brothers and sisters. That's actually something I've, uh, that's true in, in a case study is that a lot of the times the youngest is the one that, that, that does the best because they've learned from the mistakes of the brothers and sisters. And, and, you know, if the parents were coaching as well, then, you know, the experiments would be the first two kids and then the next one would be the successful one. I'm a younger sibling too, so I like that theory. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's a proven proven study. Yeah. Um. So in South Africa, obviously the weather's the weather's always good. Um. So it's a sports crazy nation, and because I was brought up there during the apartheid years in the 80s and early 90s, when and then Nelson Mandela got released, which was an amazing experience to be there and experience that uh, in our history. Um. Our focus because there was a lot of sanctions on the country, our focus was very on sports. That was like our outlet, the whole country, for example. And um, I played seven sports in school. I played rugby, cricket, soccer, track and field, cross country, tennis. Um, I don't know how many is that, six or seven. But anyway, I played a, a lot of sports. So multi-sports was in you. Um, it, it would be normal to play four or five hours of sports after school. You know, we'd, we'd have school from 7.30 until 1.30, and then you'd, you'd be there until dark, until 6.37. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, you're just absorbed in sports all day long. So very fortunate to be brought up with that. Um, wanted to be a professional tennis player. Got to a pretty good level at, by the age of 13, 14. I was just outside the top 10 in, in the country in my age group. However, we couldn't afford the coaching. And when you get to a certain level in, in sports, um, it requires better coaching, better facilities, 
travel, and we just couldn't afford that. So um, I, I quit tennis because, you know, I'd, I'd end up with, you know, rackets with no strings in them because we couldn't afford to put new strings in them, for example. Even a, a side story is, um, you know, there's, there's a will, how does it go? There's a will, there's a way. Um, I would actually sit alongside tennis courts and listen to the coaches working with players and I'd steal that information and go work on something that that coach had just been telling that kid, for example. So if it was make a C shape on your forehand, I'd go, okay, C shape on your forehand. I'd go down to the wall at the bottom court and I'd hit, hit forehands with a C shape. So I was stealing coaching information. So maybe that's, maybe that's where it all started. And, I, and, and that was when I was like 10, 11. That yeah. Maybe I didn't even realize that's where my coaching uh, career started was stealing information. Um, I think Picasso said that we're all thieves. You know, we, we steal information all the time. Uh, so 14, I, I quit tennis and I, I took up a sport thinking, what's not going to cost me much money running. Okay. Running's good. Uh, by the age of 16, I was the five kilometer national champion in wow. under 16s. So I ran a time of 1507 at, at the age of 16, which is, when I think back about it now, I'm, I'm thinking, how did, I can't even break a 20 right now. Um, I got a little bit injured. I mean, I would train insane. I would train four or five hours a day. Nobody needed to ask me. I didn't have a coach. My parents were never pushy. They would just say, whatever makes you happy. Uh, so I was self-driven. And um, I, I got a little bit injured, and somebody said to me, why don't you just borrow my bike and just keep fit? And I said, okay, that's a good idea. Got hooked on that. That's where, where I got into triathlon. Did a few team triathlons. I thought, I like this. Wasn't a good swimmer. Took up duathlon. And, um, and I had a pretty good career, five world championships, for example. But getting back to my coaching career, I think it all started in the gyms. I, I had jobs from an early age, delivering newspapers, uh, working in, I flipped burgers, everything at 14, 15. Um, there was a gym that was above the restaurant that I waited in. And I asked the owner, look, I can't pay for a membership, but I'll do jobs for you. And he said, sure, you can start by cleaning the, the locker rooms, the, the dressing rooms. I said, sure. You know, no job was too small for me. And I, again, where there's a will, there's a way. If it's going to pay for my gym contract, great. Because that was a luxury back then. I mean, having a gym contract. Yeah. And, you know, you know, that's another thing is that gyms haven't changed in terms of pricing for many years. Do you know that? I mean, memberships are still pretty much the same. It was, it was expensive back then. So... Um, now it's reasonable because it's so competitive, but, uh, that's how I started. I would work out before the gym would open, which was like 4am in the morning. And then I thought to myself, why don't I do a fitness trainer course? And I did. And I think it was, I can't remember who it was through. It was, you know, this is 25, 30 years ago. And I thought, I like this started, started as a fitness trainer. Um, by the age of 21, I was managing a gym that had 7,000 members. It was owned by Richard Branson of Virgin. So he opened up some gyms in, in South Africa. So I really had, uh, I, was, I would say I was pretty mature by 21 to manage a gym of, I think we had 42 staff and like I said, 7,000 members. Of course, I had a great assistant manager who I leaned on um, a lot. Um, he was fantastic. So a lot of credit to him. So I had some good mentors without even realizing it. Um, got into personal training at around the age of 22, 23. I, I had the market of the sports celebrities in South Africa. I had um, the Miss Universe. I had Miss South Africa pageant uh, competitors, beauty, beauty queens, CEOs. I mean, this is all before the age of 26, 27. Um, and, you know, I wasn't good in school. I never went to college. 
I just had an insane work ethic and an insane drive to be really, really good in something. So that's a little bit of my history of, of the sports and, and, and how I got into the gym industry. Yeah. And I mean, I think the insane work ethic is evident just from, you know, being 10, 11 years old, spending time by the tennis court, stealing info from, you know, coaches and going and putting the time and the work into yourself. Um, and then obviously in your career, like it's developed quite a long ways since, you know, that time 25 years ago. But what I notice when I follow you is you've got a very different mindset to a lot of strength and conditioning coaches out there where it's about so much more than just the sets and the reps. You're not, you know, just prescribing the quote unquote perfect program. You're, when I talk to, when I look at what you do, it's so much more about relationships. It's so much more about, you know, understanding the athlete on a deeper level. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that mindset came to be with you within your coaching? You know, what drew you away from simply the sets and the reps and more into that personal side of it? I think that's, and that's a great question. I think, you know, my, my first book, Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach. Now, you know, if you were to say, what are the qualities of a great coach? You could think of 50 things, right? You'd, you'd think of, you know, everything, time management, honesty, uh, competence, all these things. But, you know, the seven keys, um, you know, one of them was interpersonal skills. Uh, I think it's key number five. I should know, I wrote the book. Um, interpersonal skills, the ability to, to get along with others, um, the ability to have chemistry in a team, the ability to, your best, like, your best ability is your likability. And I find, you know, in the gym world, it's, it's very competitive, but there's like almost like sometimes a nastiness, a, a competitiveness of, of people under one roof, which is just wrong. That just creates a, a poor culture where, you know, yes, you're competing against another trainer for a client, but, you know, it, you know, if you're just simply a nicer person, you'll probably get more clients. You know, there's an observation I had when I lived in Tampa a few years ago and I joined a gym, not to, not to work, but to be anonymous and just be there to work out for myself. And I was almost like a fly on the wall and I would always just watch trainers, you know, and there was maybe 10 trainers there and I had to look at their resumes on the wall. You know how it goes, um, their qualifications and a little bit about them. But there was always two that were, were always busy. They were extremely busy. And my observation of their exercises was not, they didn't have great stuff. Um, you know, their, their technique wasn't that great. You know, sometimes you'd see someone doing a tricep extension and the elbows are out and the, the, the trainer wasn't correcting it. And little things that we, that we see that we can be petty about, like, oh, look at that. Yeah. We're all, we're all judgmental. And, and I find that just pettiness. But, um, but I was thinking, these two are always, always incredibly busy. And they charge the most. This is very interesting. But here's the thing. They were the only two that consistently would say hello to everybody in the gym, including me. Not just their clients, but they would be smiling and they'd say hello. And, then, and they'd see someone was struggling putting a pin into the machine and they'd go help them. And, and I observed this. And I was like, hmm, there it is. They're just likable people. They say hello to everybody. And they're the busiest people in the gym. And they earn the most money in the gym. Now, you've got their... Muscle Mike over there in his, in his vest. You've got uh, all these great uh, looking trainers, but they're not as busy. And, and, um, and it came down to that they weren't just as friendly as these other two. And it was a very simple observation. Now, I have a massive amount of gratitude for certain mentors in my life, some who I've not even meant, because now we have mentors on social media. You know, you, I have mentors on social media that I follow like you probably on Twitter and that we don't know them personally, but we love their, their ideas, their philosophies. And we go, that's mentorship. Of course. Well, you don't have to have a 
a guru sitting next to you to have the to have a mentor. Mentorship is information and following following somebody. If you where you go, mm, I like that. Maybe you can't have dialogue with them, but but in the, when it comes to the S and C industry, the sports performance industry, for me, Mark Verstegen, Michael Boyle, uh, Anthony Rena, of course, of, of Strength Podcast as well. Um, those have been massive. Uh, influences for me the information they've they've given uh, I love Michael's mindset also you know I just love that he says you know just don't take yourself so seriously you know when you're younger you're you're trying to be the guy or the girl um, and then of course Mark Verstegen was a pioneer I mean you know started with athletes performance actually he was down here in IMG back in the 90s uh, worked with a few players professional athletes that I eventually worked with so I got to learn you know, about Mark as well. And I always had massive respect, you know, Mary Pierce, who uh, was a Grand Slam tennis champion. She was actually born in Canada, but she played for France. She worked with Mark and then uh, she worked with me. So, you know, just great influences. You know, it's so important to have good mentors. And like I said, you don't have to know them personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, speaking of that, like you're someone that I've been following for a number of years since, uh, since reading your book, Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach. It was my old roommate that had your book and I ended up, you know, grabbing it from him and reading through that. And it really did help shift my perspective on how to approach coaching as well, because there's, like I said, there's so much in that book just about, you know, the things beyond the programming, because I think so many coaches in our industry think that, hey, if I have the best program, if I know the most information, then clients are just going to flock to me. But as you said, you know, clients are likely going to be more likely to flock to somebody who they feel good, who they feel good around, they feel comfortable with, they want to, you know, talk more with and just developing the relationship side of it more so than simply perfect programming and always being the guy who knows everything. Because if you know anything from being in this industry, it's that we never know everything. <laughs> no, and, and you know, with, with age, um, that's what you discover is the more you think you know, the more you don't know. But, um, you know, one of the key things is make make every person that comes in front of you feel like the most special person in the world. And it's very, very easy. You know, you don't have to be false about it, but just find things you can compliment on. You don't have to, like I said, you don't have to be cheesy and over overdoing it, but just everybody loves a good compliment. You know, I could, you know, it could be something about your clothes or your hair or just your, your energy, your radiation. You tell them that that makes a person feel incredible and they want to be around you. Um, but getting back to, back to one thing I love from Michael Boyle, I actually attended, um, I actually attended one of his courses in Dublin, Ireland at all places. It's easier to probably go to Boston or Orlando or somewhere to see him. But I thought, let me go across to Ireland. I'll go visit my grand who just turned 93 yesterday. Oh, wow. And on there, Michael Boyle's got a, a seminar down in Dublin. And uh, there was one slide, particular slide. Now, he spoke for, for eight hours huh? straight. I mean, there was a short break in between, but eight hours straight. I know what that's like. Believe me, you lose your voice. And he, he just has so much information. And he said, do you want to know what the most important certification in, in uh, S&C is? And I was like, hmm. What's important certification? I'm thinking all these, you know, all these fancy. He says yeah. it's a CNP. I'm like a CNP. I said, yeah, a certified nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because I could just see it too, sitting in the crowd, thinking, you know, hmm, okay, like, is it the CSCS? Is it this? Is it that? Nope, that's that makes perfect sense. 
Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, now can you talk a little bit about, you know, now we've talked a little bit about the evolution, but what's sort of the balance in your career right now? You know, how do you sort of spend your days? Obviously, COVID time is a little bit different than uh, most times through the year, but could you talk a little of the balance between how much coaching do you do, how much speaking, things like that? Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm not so much hands-on anymore, not, not just this year, but years before. You might have seen, if you followed me, my, um, my career has evolved with, uh, with uh, regards to S&C, coaching, into team culture, uh, into leadership. Obviously, my last book was about winning attitude and mindset, which can be used in any spectrum in life for sports. But um, I've evolved a little bit that way. I still uh, work with a few athletes on a consultancy basis. I'm not actually in the gym so much as more. Um, now and then, you know, like, for example, December, I'd go to Bangkok, Thailand to work with a professional uh, tennis player from Korea who's one of the top in the world. I would still do those because I, I obviously still love it. Excuse me. Um, but I would say 80% of my time is really not this year, but was spent on the road uh, visiting um, uh, colleges, working with athletic teams, working with the SNC, uh, or going to professional sports teams in Europe, for example. And then I work with some corporates as well. So it's, right now my focus is a lot on high performance, uh, leadership, team culture, which is truly my passion. You know, I just absolutely love it. It's, it's no problem for me just to sit half a day on the computer researching teams and researching leadership and, and so on and so forth. But definitely, you know, I haven't um, walked, uh, walked away from S&C or sports performances. It's still a massive thing. But one thing I'm really not as in tune with or focused on is, let's just say, um, drills and skills and exercises and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, so that's definitely one area I'm not as caught up in as at the moment. I was still very big into the fundamentals. Um, you know, if you were to watch a training session of mine, it's still very much fundamentals training. There's nothing fancy. Yeah. Um, fancy usually ends up injured. Um, getting back, getting back to one thing you said there, you know, people don't come to you for your exercises. They come to you for your energy. Yeah. They've got a choice that they know that let's just say there's 10 trainers there. They, they all know their stuff, you know, or should know their stuff. Hopefully. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of how to train somebody and they all have different styles, but people will come to you for you, for your energy. Do you make them feel special? Are you in a way a, you know, a mentor in a way and, and, a, and a listening piece as well. Those being a great listener is a massive quality of a trainer. They want to come and they just want to talk and get their stuff out and get your opinion and, or maybe not get your opinion, just, just talk, for example. So I think as trainers, it's very important to remember that is that session is for them to, if they want to vent, let them vent. If they want to, whatever, they want to be quiet, they'll be quiet. You've got to be like a thermometer and feel them what they want from that session. Maybe they need a pickup. So that's why they'll come back to you. Yeah. They're not really, they're not really interested in, in this exercise where you're standing on a, bo a BOSU balancing with a teaspoon and, and with a bungee cord, they're not interested in that <laughs> stuff. You know, those, yeah. those, are, those, those are just being a bored trainer, trying to find something that's going to, you know, look, look fancy. Yeah, absolutely. And so getting back to, you know, that team culture side, you know, the thing that you're much more focused on now, I've always found that a really interesting aspect of, you know, coaching, whether in my case, coaching individuals and in small groups, or whether you are in a position where you're coaching teams. So 
beyond those sets and reps and, you know, the exercises and things like that for coaches, what would you say are the most important things for us as coaches to be focused on with any group of athletes, whether it be a team or whether it be, you know, a small group of two or three? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's important we get back to interpersonal skills and relationships is knowing each, each athlete um, as a person first. You know, we talk about winning moments. What, is, what are winning moments? It's that time where you're walking in the parking lot or you're having a meal or you're driving with an athlete to a competition or a gym, whatever, and you're having a one-on-one conversation with them and you're talking about their family and their, you know, their whatever they want to talk about, but nothing, nothing about sports, for example, so, or, or about their training. That's where you build those connections where, you know, they say they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So definitely the building of relationships, of getting to know um, the person in front of you better. Uh, you, you know, you don't even know, let's say you work with a group of, of kids, you know, what kids are struggling, what kids are going through a very traumatic time. There could be violence at home. There could be all these things. And you are their refuge. You know, they're coming to get, get out of that. And now if you're tough on them, you know, now they're getting it from both sides, for example. You know, so we've got to be sympathetic, empathetic to, to that and, and, and really understand that other person of what they need. And I think that's a key area. You know, we call it, you know, empathy, if you like, or, or good emotional intelligence. You know, someone, if someone always asks me, you know, what book do you recommend? And, and, you know, there's hundreds of books that are great. One of them would definitely be on emotional intelligence, the, the ability to, to understand yourself, your personal competence, and the ability to understand others, just social competence. That will get you much further than the certificates on your wall. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things I really wanted to get into with you was one of your other books, uh, now, that, of course, the title's slipping my mind, but uh, Building the Championship Mindset. Uh, Champion-minded, champion that's the one. I knew it was something like that, but uh, from my own perspective as a coach, there's a lot about what you do that I try to implement into my own day-to-day, but from the perspective of an athlete, you know, like I mentioned before we turned on the recording, one of the real goals of this show that I'm trying to get into is what it takes beyond simply the skill of the game to develop these top level athletes. Because I'm what I know I've run into, and I'm sure so many other coaches out there do as well, is kids that come in and they want to be at the top. They want to be, you know, the best in the world at their sport, but then they have no concept beyond just playing their sport a lot, what it takes to actually get there. And so when it comes to the mindset side, the mental side, I think this is something that gets so easily overlooked among coaches and athletes alike. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, champion minded, what sort of went into that book, what, and then what people can do to implement some of those strategies into their lives as well? Yeah, sure. You know, champion minded, which is creating excellence in in sports and in life. So a lot of the book is around about what sports can teach us and, and, and the benefits of that. It was written in a format that's very easy to, to, to read, especially for today's generation. Each chapter is, you know, no more than a three-minute read. So um, that's why it's been, I think, very, very successful is because coaches can or parents can get their, their kid this book and, and say, just read a chapter a day. And look at two pages. Okay, that's doable. Three pages, that's doable. I don't have to read a whole book. Yeah. And bite-sized information. So the structure has been very, um, has been designed with keeping in mind how today's generation are learning. Very quick information. Don't go on and on and on. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I was very interested in in, in improvement and the mindset and so on in my sports because I was trying to find every edge. But 
I could never find books that were easy to read. Maybe that's something about my, my academic side, but it was always, I don't, I'm not really interested in the left side of the brain. I want to know what I do when I feel pressure, what I do when I have nerves, what I do when my opponent cheats, uh, what should I eat? What, what is a champion lifestyle? I wanted to know that stuff. I wasn't interested in, in like, like I said, you know, like science as such, even though it's important. I just wanted like practical things to do when I'm in competition. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Another reason was getting through that. It's not all talent and, um, you know, uh, how good you are. It's, it's the work that you put in. It's those lessons that, that take you take in life with regards to work ethic, time management, controlling the controllables, your attitude, your, you know, your energy is controlled by your attitude, for example, your body language is controlled by your attitude, for example, all these small little things that are controllables, achievable, you don't have to be talented, you maximize those, become the best in the things that require no talent, so to say. Uh, you know, we see the brilliance of a Tom Brady or a Ronaldo or a Roger Federer or Serena, and we think, wow, they're just talented, they're just brilliant. Yeah, of course, You've got to have some genetics. Let's not, let's not kid each other. But there's simply people that have spent more time developing their craft. You know, Serena lives 20 minutes from me. Um, I know her coach very well as well. And she, she's putting, still putting in three, four-hour days on the tennis court, you know, even with, with having a family now and stuff. So don't think they just, they just wake up and they're just good. You know what I mean? Tom Brady is still working as hard as he did, you know, uh, it's these elite athletes that you see how they live like champions. That's really what champion minded is about. It's a lifestyle, the way you act, the way you think, the way you look, the way you, you practice, the way you compete. And the biggest word of all, which is the eighth uh, component of being champion minded is commitment. You know, what is commitment? It's doing what you said you would after the mood has left you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an, an extremely important element of it. Um, and so for those kids that maybe are, you know, a little bit younger right now and have the goals of, you know, being the next Tom Brady, being the next Serena Williams or whatever athlete that is that they're sitting there idolizing. One thing that I know I've had discussions with athletes and with parents alike about is kids having the time to just be a kid. And, you know, I understand that on the surface, that feeling, but at the same time, you know, the way I look at it is if you want to live that lifestyle of, you know, that Tom Brady, that Serena Williams, there's no better time to start that commitment than right now. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are your thoughts with like how early should kids be trying to develop some of these traits and what are good places for kids to start when they're at a younger age? What's a good place to start with those commitments and with that, you know, developing that championship mindset? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a, I'm sure you've seen the triangle, you know, the coach, parent, athlete, and then I say it's coach driven. I, I, I don't believe that. I believe it's athlete driven, um, athlete driven, coach led, and, and the parent supports, of course, which is important, of course. It means uh, transportation, financial, uh, emotional support, etc. Yeah. So, you know, it's important that each one has a defined role, but, you know, to be successful, I believe it should be athlete driven. Like no one had to push me. No one had to ask me to do the extra work. No one had to ask me like, uh, like I said, to, to put in, put in extra time. I, I chose that myself. So, you know, three things which I, I find are, are critical to um, a kid being successful is that it's a passion. 
It's their choice. They love the sport. They, they're a scholar of it. They, they love watching it on TV. They love reading about it. They're, they're just consumed with it the whole time. The second one is hunger to succeed. How hungry are you to succeed? Because that will determine um, if you get up at five o'clock or not, or you sleep in, or you're, you're willing to stay in the rain afterwards and practice your free kicks or your, free, your throws or whatever it may be. Are you willing to do that without someone saying, asking you to do it? And the third one is, is of course, self-discipline the self-discipline to, to do those things as well. So uh, passion, you must love it. Hunger, your desire to succeed and self-discipline of doing the things that others don't feel like doing or want to do. That is what success comes down to is doing the things that you don't really, uh, you don't really feel like doing, but you do them and you do them well. And that's what determines the good from the great. Another thing as well as consistency is, you know, the average do it sometimes, the, the good do it most of the time, the great do it all of the time. They're consistent on a daily basis. So, but definitely the, the bottom line is love for what you do because you're not going to get better at something you don't enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, we see so many kids, um, especially here in Florida, you know, where there's a lot of academies and there's a lot of, you know, sports in, uh, places like golf and tennis and so on. And, you know, they're good. They're 12, 13, 14, they're national level, but, you can see some of them can't, they absolutely hate it because they maybe get a lot of pressure at home and the parents never stop talking about it. And the kid is, you know, is just all about results. And, and then they quit at 15, 16, you know, and, and they go do something else. And, and it's just, uh, it's a pity because they've been pushed too far, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I couldn't agree more. I think the athlete driven aspect of it is extremely important. Like if the athlete's not into it, then the parents are only going to be able to push them so far or a, or a coach is only going to be able to push them so far. But with that self-discipline, the hunger, um, all of those elements you were just talking about, do you find that these are something that kids just have or do you find these are things that at a younger age you can start to develop in yourself if maybe you want that end goal, but that self-discipline doesn't come supernaturally. Is there some, is there things that kids can be working on to develop that within themselves as well? Talking about like more like the passion that they, they, they grow to love it more. Is that, is that what you're asking? Um, the passion, but also the discipline. So if they love the sport, but maybe the discipline to, you know, be at training more, do the extra practice and things like that doesn't come as naturally. Is that a habit you find can be developed? Absolutely. And that all, that all starts in the home. You know, uh, behavior starts in the home. Self-discipline starts in the home. You know, you can't expect as a coach not to change a kid because, you know, what goes on at the, in the home, for example, that's, that's, their, that's their foundation. Those, those are their beliefs as well or their values, so to say, even if they don't align with yours. So, you know, it really, it really starts with, with the parents and, and, you know, the rules or standards that are within the household. Um, you know, parents can create uh, the right environment for for their child to be. Obviously, the goal of every parent is to have a child that should be a good adult, a good human being when they're an adult. I think that's that should be the goal. Uh, sport and career comes after that, I I, I believe. So, um, you know, it, it all starts there. It's what goes on at home and and um, how they're brought up. You know, I, on my podcast a few weeks ago with with Mike Boyle actually. I had a question for him with regards, how do, you know, how do you, a parent comes to you and say, how do I get my kid more tougher? Or how do I develop more grit and resilience with my kid? And, and Michael, you know, Michael just said, well, there probably needs to be more discipline at home, you know? Uh, so I, I, I buy into that a hundred percent. 
Yeah. And for, well, for parents as well, because as much as with this show, I, I am trying to talk to athletes. I think, you know, like you said, there's a lot of people involved in developing that athlete and parents are clearly a huge element of that, especially early on. You know, what kind of things would you recommend for parents if they're trying to support their kid, but you know, they want to be hands-on and they want to develop them this way or that way. What would be your best advice for parents as far as, you know, developing that good adult or developing in the end, you know, potentially that good athlete or whatever that kid ends up doing. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Parenting is leadership. So, you know, your, your example is, is the most for, uh, powerful form of leadership. So, you know, it's what, what you're doing as a parent and, and how you're acting with or, or reacting to situations, for example. Um, to, uh, the way you communicate, all these things being brought up in the house. Do, you, do we scream at each other? Is that acceptable? Um, you know, so really it, it starts with the values and the principles of, of the parents themselves, because like I said, parenting is leadership. So, and they're leading those kids. I mean, those, those kids, all they really want to do is just please their parents. You know, a 10 year old, 11 year old, they, you know, the parents saying, yeah, he or she wants to be a professional athlete. Well, really does the kid really want to be, or is that just something the parents just, you know, put in their mind and that's what they want the kid, their kid to be, for example. You know, like this, like they said, uh, like a quote I put out the other day, if I can remember it, um, there's a difference between wanting your kid to be the best and wanting the best for your kid. And yes, it's great. If your kid goes on to be a professional or whatever, fantastic. But, at, you know, but at what cost? So I, I, it's very difficult to have those conversations with, with a parent as a, you know, as a coach. You can't tell them how they're going to run their household or what their standards and, and things should be. So what you get arriving at your practices is a product of what goes on at home. Yeah. And then, so, you know, as you said, we can't sit there and tell anybody how to run their household because clearly that's far out of our, out of our place. But son, if, the, if we do have an athlete that, you know, you're working with that maybe doesn't have that great example at home or that great support system at home, but does have the drive, what do you think are the most important things now for coaches to be doing to, you know, help pull this athlete in the right direction, despite what might be going on in the rest of their lives? Well, it's very important to make it clear from the beginning, from, from session one, is that, you know, you might have your rules and standards at home, but these are the rules and standards of, of our academy or our, my training session, for example. And that is, it could be anything, you know, it could be the standards you have is being on time, the way we talk to each other, uh, we don't interrupt, uh, dress code, um, helping pick up uh, equipment without having to be asked. You can have, you know, all these, all these standards, for example, but those, those are the standards on your, in your gym or your facility or whatever it may be. Okay. That's how it works here. It might work like that at home where you don't have to wash the dishes or do anything, but here we all help each other. That's our standards here. These are our standards of excellence, so to say. So, and then of course, um, the human connection, uh, being the example. So maybe let's just say their parents aren't a great example or they come from a broken home or they come from a trauma, for example. And like I said, they're coming to you as, as refuge is that they're, they're maybe learning a lot of things from you or they see you as a father figure or a mother figure, for example. You know, I know a lot of coaches in college that have become a father figure or a mother figure to uh, an athlete who maybe hasn't come from, from such a good background. And, you know, for me, that's, that's what coaching is all about is how will you be remembered? What person were you? You know, what legacy will you leave as a person? 
again, people don't care how much you know until how, how much you care. So as coaches, we're given a very privileged platform that we shouldn't waste is that we can change lives. Uh, you know, be a good person. Think about the other person, have empathy because we don't know what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Even just when you say, you know, that privileged platform as coaches, like it gives me a, it gives me goosebumps. It's just such a nice feeling to know that, yeah, you are in a position where you can change the course of an athlete's life. And, um, one thing somebody is taking time out of their day to come and see you and paying you for it. You know, so it's, it's a, it's a privilege. They want to spend an hour with you three times a week or whatever it may be. You know, that's a privilege. Someone's paying to, to come and see you. Like I said, you, you might think it's all about your exercises and all your things. It's not, they're coming to see you. They're, they feed off your energy. They want to feel good when they leave that building. Yeah, of course. And so that leads me to another thing that I know you talk a lot about is finding your purpose. And I know I've seen speeches of yours that you talk about, you know, when you wake up, maybe not feeling it that day or whatever it might be, it's your purpose that gets you up and keeps you going. And can you talk a little, you know, whether it's on the coach side or whether it's on the athlete side, because I know that's something that a lot of athletes struggle with is they know they want to play at the top level, but then they have that day where they wake up feeling beat up, feeling sore, and they just don't want to do anything that day. But I love the way you put it of when you have those days, you think about your purpose and that's what gets you up and keeps you going. What went into finding that purpose for you or creating that purpose for you? And how can other people replicate the success that that's brought you? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm like anyone, anyone else, you know, there'll be mornings I wake up and I don't feel like doing what I need to do or have to do, but there's a way you build grit and resilience is doing the things you don't really feel like doing. My first act of discipline in the, in, in the day is making my bed. Um, in fact, let me put it this way. The first thing I think of when I wake up is two things I'm grateful for. And that's every single morning. And that's become a habit. So I wake up and the first two things I think about is, you know, what I'm grateful for. That's a great way to wake up. Then wake up and go, oh, it's raining or looking out the window or whatever. So start the day with gratitude. Um, I make my bed, which is the first act of discipline is um, the general. I can't remember his name. He has a great YouTube uh, thing on that. General McCracken, is it? Or, or something. Uh, and he's got a book called make your bed. So I believe in that is that I'm doing something that I don't really feel like doing is making my bed. It's easy just to leave it, but I make my bed. Okay, good. Gratitude discipline. We've started our day and, and we're not even two minutes into it yet. That's the way I want to start. Um, maybe I'm, I'm feeling tired. Maybe I'm not up to it, but then I think to myself, you know what, today I get an op another opportunity to add value to the world. And that's a massive part of my purpose and my vision is to, inspire as many people as possible to help others uh, uh, realize their, their purpose in life as well. And, you know, it, it really comes down to the concept of Ikigai, which is a Japanese concept. I think you spell it I-K-I-G-Y-U, uh, I think it is, Ikigai. I'm, I'm probably way off there. Well, it's about it up after. <laughs> yeah, it's about your passion. It's about your purpose. It's about something you do that you, if you didn't get paid for it, that you'd still do it with, with pleasure, for example. It's something that adds value to the world. And when you find that, you know, there's a great diagram. If you just, if you just Google Ikigai, you'll, you'll see the diagram there. Um, when I look at that diagram, I, I, I know I'm on the right track of what, what I should be doing and what I am doing. And that's very much aligned to my purpose is add value to the lives of others, 
inspire others to their own greatness, to their own excellence. And you know, that doesn't have to be massive. It can be achieve these three things each day. Repeat, repeat, repeat. That's where excellence comes along is consistency of just doing the small little things very well every, every single day. That's what it comes down to. It's not these massive things that you think like, well, excellence is winning uh, the Super Bowl and, that, and excellence is this massive thing over here. It's not. Excellence is achieving uh, small little goals daily. And so for anybody that's listening to that now, you know, for you know, those younger athletes, again, that are maybe thinking about these things for the first time, what would you say is a good way for them to – you know, develop those daily habits or to start, you know, figure out what those habits can be for them that can help them achieve the things they want to over time. Well, that's where I think a coach or a parent comes in is where they help them structure their day more. Um, they need to achieve certain goals. For example, their homework needs to be complete. Uh, their their a training session, for example, um, maybe a nap before training. All, those are small little things they need to achieve each day. And obviously, uh, time management, you know, if your gym is 10 minutes away from you, don't leave 10 minutes before, leave 25 minutes before, get there with 10, 15 minutes in hand, or there could have been an accident on the way there, which makes you late, for example. So these are little things of what high performance is, is planning ahead of these, uh, time management is a massive one, you know, rather be well before time than, than, than be on time. So these are, these are our habits of excellence that people just think, ah, oh, that's like, you know, that's not really that important. Um, really being coachable, um, you know, ask questions, ask your coaches questions. Don't just wait for feedback is, you know, be curious, be skeptical about things and, and ask, you know, why do we do it this way? And, and, and so on and so forth, you know, so there's a lot of ways you can improve yourself and, and improve high performance. I love that you said that because honestly, that's one of my absolute favorite things is when I have an athlete come to me and say, well, why do we do at this exercise like this? Or, you know, what's the purpose of this exercise? And I find so often it almost catches me by surprise because it doesn't happen nearly as often as I would hope. But, you know, obviously it keeps me on my toes because I know that everything that I have my athletes doing, they needs to have a purpose behind it. But it's so great when I hear them also questioning, you know, what is this going to do for me? How is this going to help me when I'm back in sport? And I just, I love that attitude because it is showing a little bit more of accountability as well, right? You're not just doing what you're told. You're, you want to understand why you're doing what you're told. And then once you know, it's that much easier to really give it a hundred percent. Exactly. Now you're spot on there. And, and, you know, we as coaches, that that's our role as well is to provide that, that information and, and, and those things, those tools for them, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alistair, I appreciate all the time so far so much. It's been such a pleasure having you on here. Um, you know, like I've mentioned a couple times, the goal of this show is to really dig into the behind the scenes of what creates great athletes and also great people, because I think that it is something that as much as I have my niche that I'm sort of focused on, these are traits that, you know, translate so well across the rest of life as well. And things that if you are developing these traits for sport, you can carry into whatever it is you choose to do once sports wrap up for you. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, is there anything that you felt we missed anything you felt that, you know, you can add on to what we've talked about already in this regard? I think obviously, you know, we're, we're doing this interview during the COVID um, uh, period uh, in 2020 
Um, and who knows, it, it most likely will continue in 2021. But, you know, the ability to adapt, uh, the most successful people right now, be it in sports, their careers, whatever, are adapting, they're hustling. You know, you know just don't sit back and play the victim of, of things. You know, it's easy for all of us to play the victim right now. Like I said, 80% of my work is has been taken away from me this year, but I'm not sitting back and, and, and crying over it. I'm, I'm hustling, right? What can I do next? I'm adapting to the situation. So if I can just encourage you out there to stay positive, sow seeds. Right now, I'm doing a lot of work that I'm maybe not getting paid for, but I know in the future will pay off. So, you know, don't be discouraged if things aren't happening for you. You're not as busy as you should be right now. Um, keep planting seeds, build relationships, stay adaptable. Don't play the, 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 vic the victim, play the victor. And, and I can promise you if you, sow, if you keep sowing these seeds and putting in the work daily, um, it will pay off. It will pay off. I love that because, you know, whether it is from a business standpoint, you know, like yourself or whether it is from an athlete standpoint, because the amount of conversations I had when the original lockdown happened for us back in March, where people were saying, well, I don't have access to a gym, so I can't do anything. And then, you know, we would sort of figure out that, hey, even if you've just got a few things around your house, you can do something. It might not be ideal. It might not be the training program you thought you were going to be on this off season, but there's always something to be done if you know, as you said, and as you said before, where there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want it bad enough, you'll make it happen. I believe that. So I love it, man. So again, thank you so much for all the time today. I really appreciate it. If there's someone that's looking to get in touch with you, you know, whether it's about something they heard in this interview or just general questions for you about, you know, what it is that you do, uh, what would be the best way for them to go about that? Well, as you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter, at uh, Alistair McCall. That's my, my favorite uh, social media platform. Um, Instagram, be champion minded. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Alistair McCall page. Or you can also go to my, my website, alistairmccall.com. On there, you'll find information, you'll find uh, resources and my podcast. So those, those are probably the best, uh, best mediums. And I can absolutely vouch for your Instagram, Twitter, and the podcast. So, you know, if you are out there and you aren't following Alistair already, please do yourself a favor if you're trying to move forward, whether it's in a coaching career, whether it's in a sport career, whatever else. This guy's putting out so much great stuff all the time. So, Alistair, I really appreciate you. You've helped me more than you could possibly know within my own career. And for anyone else out there, please go give this guy a follow. You will absolutely benefit from it. So for anybody else out there listening, this has been the Elite Development Podcast with Kenny Dusso and Alistair McCall. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.